This is CliffCentral.com. Future CEOs on CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Future CEOs here on Cliff Central. My name is Gareth Armstrong. It is good to be with you this afternoon. We're live. We're coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. It's a beautiful day outside, and we've got a really, really good, uh, fantastic guest, in fact, here in studio with us. John, you were just saying off air that um, people that look at you, sometimes they, they perceive you in a particular kind of way. Sure. You're a comedian, you're a social commentator, but then they think you can't be in business and your no, response to them is what? Well, it's not my fault you're stupid. Um, um, <laughs> I always say to people uh, when they put me in a box because of how I look or what I've done previously, they're not putting me in a box. Mm. They're in a box. Mm. Uh, it's just a, um, it's something I don't even get excited about anymore. I just point out that it's like a, it's a limited uh, way of thinking. And that's the voice of John Flissmus who's joining us here in studio for our future CEO's conversation today. Are you a future CEO? If you say yes to that, if there's even a hint inside of you that you have the potential to be either running your own business or perhaps running the business that you're working in at the moment, well, then this is the show for you. We, we want to bring uh, you insightful, interesting uh, conversations that are going to help fast track your career, help you grow your business. And I think you're going to find this conversation today with John just that. Um, you're smiling. Uh, do you feel like it's going to – am I accurate? No, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I think um – there's a lot you can learn from books or from, uh, you know, people at the golf club, mm. but a lot of them haven't really done, um, anything to talk about. Mm, and, and I agree with you. Just let's quickly talk about talks then. You give talks to CEOs, which sure. is a very interesting evolution. Um, and you again, spoke off air about this idea of synthesis and the evolution of careers and, and sure. how you've gone from being a very, uh, you said clean comic to a Absolutely. very rude comic yep. and then now to being embraced even in corporate environments. Just talk us a little <laughs> bit through this. So that's all true. Uh, when I started comedy, I was, uh, I was a fairly clean. In fact, there were three of us. It was called the Durban Poison Comedy Roadshow because we started in Durban. And, um, um, I was the clean one and, and, uh, the others were the sort of dark and challenging comics. Mm. And, uh, over time, um, I realized that the comedy that m- most um, resonates with me is actually stuff that's quite dark okay. and, and challenging and provocative. And in fact, in all art forms, I find that interesting um, because I think though that provokes the real que- – the hard questions are the interesting ones, n- mm. not the easy questions. And I think most people grow up learning a script. If I just learn the script that everyone else is using, I'll get along mm. and I'll be accepted. Um I was very lucky to be raised by two very, very different um, human beings. Okay. My, my mum and dad w- had nothing w- when I was born. They literally had nothing. And they began to work for themselves. And um, they were quite controversial in their own right. Okay. Um, my How dad, so? Well, my dad married a divorcee with a kid in, in those days. Okay. That was like a scandal mm. um, because in those days people were even more stupid and, and felt that it was, it was, you know, completely out of the, it's just a meaningless structure that we, we, we gave children this idea that somehow they were defective because they were born in a certain circumstance, mm. which was ridiculous. Anyway, so I grew up, uh, the son of, um, Two people who worked very hard, but were always in charge of their own destinies. Okay. Uh, and, 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 the, and they accepted the fact that they were kind of angled against society. So I grew up without many, um, uh, without much scripting. Sure. And, and I was always taught to not trust something simply because it's, it, it's a structure. Mm. Um, you know, my dad never belonged to clubs or he never had like a, 
peer group that was kind of constantly around. Or, um, my mom was not a big gossipy sort of. So we grew up with a lot of that kind of self-guiding mm. um, principle. And, and I think what happened in my life is as I got older and more mature, I realized that I didn't want the approval of the audience. Okay. Obviously, I have to make them laugh. That's my professional commitment to sure. them for paying. But um, – but I could take them on a journey that I wanted to take them on, not the journey they wanted to go on. How, how early on did you discover this idea that you didn't have to make or get approval from them? It, what, it took what some was time. Because, yeah. because a lot of people, we are scripted. Yes. Uh, with whether we choose to believe it or not. Sure. Un- unconsciously it's there. Yeah. How, how do you break through or get past this? Well, well it's kind of interesting. Um so I think I did it in a cowardly way. Okay. Um, I built a career on approval and, and then I, you know, broke that kind of trust. Okay. But I, I hope that I put something into it that showed people another, uh, other value mm. because my lifestyle or my career didn't change as a result of that decision. So it just required some careful, what I could bring to the conversation. I'm a, quite a curious person mm-hmm. and I, I'm a big believer in, in learning. So, um, I brought some of that learning to the work. And so I didn't just say, well, I'm changing direction now and the thing you liked I will no longer do mm. I was like look I'm not doing that anymore but I'm doing it like this yeah. and there's a reason why I'm rude and there's a reason why I'm controversial and there's a so I try and build the line of argument and the research into the controversial humor and, and it's appropriate if you're communicating it as well I, I sure I, I, I I kind of step back and I look at a lot of businesses that evolve and grow or careers that evolve and grow and there's no communication there and you're not, if you're not engaging those around you, then well then you must expect them to reject you to a certain extent, I guess. Well, so, so, I mean, that's an interesting um, point because at the moment I'm doing a, I'm writing a a talk. It's a, it's almost like an antidote to my previous talk. My previous talk's all about collaboration. Okay. Uh, this is warnings against collaboration and, and, um, I'm not saying you shouldn't collaborate. I'm just saying that you should be aware of certain traps when you collaborate because mm-hmm. collaboration does not mean kumbaya. Everyone agrees. Yeah. Diplomacy is a disaster for me in a business or in, in life generally. In mm-hmm. my family, I encourage what I like to call the dojo of no. Okay. I think dissonance is a great teacher. It's mm-hmm. just, it's not taught correctly and, um, we don't trust each other enough. To have an argument. Wait, 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 hold on. What does that mean? We don't trust each other enough to have so, an argument. Yeah. So we are all taught to be polite and that arguments are rude. Mm. Um, they're not. Um, they can be quite civilized and actually deeply effective. Um, um, you should be allowed to be slightly disrespectful to things you don't agree with. To, to things you don't agree with, not p- potentially to the people there. Well, you know, again, uh, depending on the situation, I think mm. there are certain people that need to be disrespected. A okay. uh, prime example is running our country. Mm. Um, um, you know, we have not disrespected our president enough. Mm. Finally, we have, we've been provoked to the point where we are actually now, and those around him are starting to. But, I, you know, I always say that the iceberg was a, a known entity and the Titanic was a known entity, but mm. it w- wasn't until their greatest moment of dissonance mm. that we unlocked an enormous amount of learning. Sure. Now, obviously, it was tragic and it was unpleasant. However, it unlocked an enormous amount of learning. So so what I believe is that um we should learn to be more combative. We should just know the rules of engagement. And and um so what I do often um I've realized in my confrontational or provocative comedy, which I've now hopefully started translating into the business world, 
is I, I encourage that pro- I provoke. Because it's only when you provoke someone, you start to see their, their kind of triggers and react. Now you start getting a real sense of yeah, who you're talking exactly. to. I don't understand why men all wear the same clothing and they all buy four by fours that they drive around Santon. Mm. Um, what are you doing? It makes no sense to anyone. Um, you all want a house in Plettenberg Bay because your friend has one. Mm. Okay, but all you've done is crowd a coastal village, drive the prices up to beyond realistic, mm. and everything is a queue there. So, so why is that an our quality holiday? You're seeing all your friends again. Mm. You're just in that hysteria of comparing assets. It's the dumbest thing. Um, why do you need a four-liter engine with all-wheel drive to, you know, transport a 120-kilogram slob around Santon? I don't understand <laughs> the mechanics or the <laughs> physics of it. And then you say you care about the environment. So yeah. there are these vast gaps of um, of logic. And um, it's interesting to me because as an outsider, uh, I've, I've always been an outsider. I, I grew up as one. I was at school. I was generally one. I, I'm glad you've gone here because I do yes. want to explore, the, explore sure. this a little bit uh, because you are uh, – I don't want to diminish you to the statement, which is you're quite a character because right. – uh, not. when I say character, I don't mean uh, – you've got an interesting character that has formed on top of multiple layers of different experiences, and I certainly appreciate it. Sure. So uh, can, can we do that? Can we, can we yeah. go look at the formative years and how did you build your identi- identity? How did it develop? Um, well, I mean, I think having grown up with my parents being who they were, um, that was the start of it. And then, um, and quite creative people as well in their own, in their own way. My dad writes beautifully. My mum, um, had a quite an interesting background okay. in various ways as performing and stuff. Mm. Um, that sounds really dodgy. As I've said that, I've just thought, <laughs> wow, whatever I just call my mom. Anyway, <laughs> um, take it for what you will. It doesn't matter. I know her. She's quite cool. So, 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 uh, there was that. And then obviously I entered the schooling system where uh, basically I was surrounded by uh, young uh, wasps. Um, um, in South Africa, young white kids had a very special um, little club. Mm. And I didn't always fit that club. Mm. Um, and I'm not just saying that to ingratiate myself now to the new sort of um, idea of actual, um, you know, human rights. But um, I th- I kind of – I didn't fit with that because the value system of that little group of entitled princes and princesses was very skewed, and it was kind of against my upbringing. So, so the, this, this lack of understanding, this dissonance that yes. exists in your mind uh, regarding Santon and people yep. that drive around, yep. that existed ba- way back when, or oh, at absolutely. least it formed back then well, because no, you were looking at these people and saying, what the hell is going on here? Sure. Well, I'm very glad to tell you that Ericsson um, has uh, seven life stages in his cycle of mm-hmm. maturity, and mm-hmm. – uh, and so everyone faces the same crisis at around the same age, which is a crisis of competence. Mm. And uh, you basically value yourself based on what you can do. Now, if the people around you are making something else, you will never match up. Mm. And that will cause a crisis that will basically drive you to the next crisis, which is whether you choose intimacy with your group or isolation. And mm. I can tell you with hindsight that I chose isolation. Uh, even today, I work on stage alone uh, in a spotlight. Mm. I don't work with other people on stage. Mm. So that stays with me. And and um and um so i was perfectly positioned to be an observer by circumstance because i valued myself against an incorrect system and then obviously that's compounded because the schools were all designed and are still designed if you listen to ken robinson's talks on yeah. on on the failure of the education system um were designed for the industrial revolution yeah, and these industrial mechanisms that turn Absolutely. out these these clones or yeah. uh, a variation of a certain kind of clone yeah and you know with reason um there was reason mm. behind that original idea to manage people um, and it pumps them through the system and if provided you 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 just don't want to rock the boat and you've got a little bit of privilege and you've got some sort of um capability you could probably end up with a 4x4 and a nice home mm. and a 
pair of chinos and whatever else goes with that whole thing. Uh, but I just never found that to be my target. Your, your, your thing. Okay. Mm. Well, let's go back to, uh, again to the, these formative years. So you didn't, sure. you didn't quite fit, but who were you at that point? Were you, right. were you still malleable? Were you, what, what was going um, on inside of yeah, you? Yeah. I think desperate to try and fit in. I'm not okay. going to pretend I was cool about being mm. isolated. Mm. I, it was, I was quite an anxious and, um, um, probably quite an incompetent um, teenager in terms of the norm. Okay. Um, I was not sporty at all. Mm. Um, I hated the idea that we all had to, on a Friday afternoon, our geography teacher suddenly became a small dictator who would yell orders as we marched around a patch of grass. Sure. It's very important that 12 men can all turn left at the same time. <laughs> Apparently, I didn't realize we were planning a musical <laughs> at that stage. Um, so um, I found it all pointless. I just thought it was meaningless structure. I hated school every day for 12 years. Mm. I, I did not like it. I started off really uh, kind of a, as a good student, and I left as a, as a barely functioning one. Okay. Um, so I found um, that was really a very – I just had to get through school. It was no other way around it. Were you rebelling, or were you digging down and, and discovering what was going wrong or right? I don't think I had the ability to reflect uh, at that at that age. I was just dealing with crisis after crisis. Oh, so I was really? trying to handle, yeah. you know, like puberty, girls. I mean, the whole thing. Mm. Um, all of my friends were kind of all outsiders. So you know, slightly physically different, or mm. um, of a different race, or um, I had a friend who grew up to become a very successful homosexual man. Okay. Um, at the time, he wasn't aware of the fact that that was actually what was bothering him. Sure. But. <laughs> But we kind of banded together as a group of outsiders, and, and I, I didn't understand that. So eventually I left high school uh, early um, and went to a place which was like an um, – kind. Of, it was called Cambridge College. It was like a, an office school, uh, like a Damlin uh, okay. thing, on the understanding with my dad that um, I must just get through this year mm. and, and get what I need. I failed to get a university pass for um, drama. Okay. So I uh, ended up getting a diploma at the Technicon, which I think is now called the Durban Institute of Technology. Okay, which very is nice. Huge PR. Um, <laughs> and, and, and suddenly I was in an environment where uh, for like 18 hours a day I could dedicate myself to learning drama. Mm. And then my parents suddenly couldn't understand how this like layabout was now at like studying and yeah, performing yeah, really putting, and putting, putting I, I was never home. I was just at the tech. Um, I'm very grateful to them because at one stage they took me out of um, like school holiday vibes and put me to work in one of the family uh, businesses where okay. I was a worker, a factory worker. Oh, right. And I can never, ever thank them enough for that. At the mm. time I didn't realize it, but they gave me no special privileges mm. and I literally got involved with the laborers. So, so, so that was my, my real training ground because I, I found that interesting. What did it teach you? What did, what did you experience there? Um, you just need to learn to like give up your little princess approach mm. and get your hands dirty with everyone else. And um, I kind of really uh, I valued the respect that I was given by the dudes who worked in the manual side of things because I never ever pulled rank. I just mm. I, I would have felt weird um, um, to stop before the work was finished. So mm. we, we did everything from the beginning to the end. So that I'm very grateful to my folks for like abandoning me there, if you can call it that. Sure. And then when I hit the tech, I was like ready for, now I could do hard work, but for myself. Mm. And uh, I was surrounded by creative people, uh, writers, you know, uh, dancers, actors, crazy people that I could finally relate to. Yeah, there, there, suddenly there was an identity that you could could look out and say, wow, this is them. Absolutely. This is who I am potentially. Yeah. And then and then so so you you arrive there. Uh when do you begin to realize that you've got a bit of comedy in you? Oh right. So that was in high school. It was like a coping mechanism I started to like 
make my mates laugh at okay. like at the at the lunchtime. Um uh, and girls. Um girls liked it where you could make them laugh. Yeah. So I found that quite useful. So. Not yeah. being a jock or, you know, uh that was quite handy. Mm. Um and then that just extended naturally. So I actually never intended to be a comedian. I thought I was going to be a serious actor. Okay. Um but there was no work uh, um at all. So while I was studying I realized that there was very little work, especially in Durban. Mm. Um and coming from the background that I did and, and, you know, a lot of parents could have said to me when, when they said, oh, what do you want to do? And I, and I, and you told them you want to be an actor. Like they start panicking. Sure. My folks kind of like galvanized and, and they were like, okay, but you, when you understand it's difficult and, and they were people who'd built something substantial out of nothing. Mm. So their thing was always, look, we'll back you, but, but you got to have a plan. Mm. Um, and I always felt that the way to repay them that kindness was to succeed. Okay. So I never ever only did one thing. Um, I did like corporate, um, theater writing. I did, um, a lot of performing in corporate, um, theater work. So as I left the tech, I was already looking for ways to make a living out of the skill set that I had been, been developing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I say that now, like it's a, it was a beautifully crafted plan. It wasn't. I just, I refused to be unemployed. Mm. And I was, there was that. There was a mixture of luck, which you can never ever discount. There is luck mm, uh, involved, and anyone who says it isn't is a liar. Uh, the the uh, truism, uh, I think it's attributed to Gary Player, who says the harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, are you okay with that? Yeah, I mean, I think you're more open to luck if if, if you've worked hard and you and you you know. Um, but like I've had to write for, I mean, when I moved up to Joburg, it's a really long story, but, but I moved up here and, and uh, to find work and I was let down quite badly and I had to mm. scramble to find it. I ended up writing the dialogue of the two m- inflatable characters on tube television oh, wow. for quite a long time okay. just to find work to, to keep me, uh, so I could go and gig at night. Mm. And, um, my sister was a, a triple A, um, copywriting student. She had a car, which I didn't have. Mm. She was younger than me. She's younger than me. And I would then pay her grocery bill with my club money. Okay. And then she would drive me around to gigs. So like we kind of fell into quite a good rhythm, mm. uh, in Joburg. And then, um, just a series of really cool things happened, which got me, um, I mean, I was doing every available show, and if I couldn't get a show, I would drive around and find bars that had a band set up. All right. And just say, can I just talk for 15 minutes, and if you like it, you can book me again, and if not, you'd, I never have to come back. Okay, so uh, there was never this this defining moment uh, of of almost starlight, sunlight, that no. suddenly this beam came down and said, no. I've arrived. Rather, for you, it was just a, uh, what they would refer to as the grind, really, I guess. It's the grind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe in the grind. You know, like Buddhists tell you, if you meet the Buddhist on the, the, the Buddha on the road, you should kill him. Mm. If you meet the big idea on the road, kill it immediately. Okay. Because the world is full of idiots with huge ideas. Um, you know, it's about execution. Mm implementing like all that stuff i mean i can say it now but at the time it was just a grind to literally a little shoebox under my bed and when mm. i got home from the night i could sometimes do two gigs i had a little circuit that i built for myself okay i could put like you know two-thirds of whatever cash i'd got for that night in the box and a third would go in my like that was my basic mm. system of you know because no, two-thirds gave me a little bit of like leg room if i didn't find work so mm. it it's not about the big time and the big break and in that out of that emerged an opportunity for me to do an audition mm. uh, for a big comedy festival in Canada I had to wait three months though in Johannesburg so okay. I made an arrangement so I could stay here and, mm. and be around and then I went to this audition and um, 
there were 22 comedians who auditioned. Um, some of them were like my heroes, like Barry Hilton and Mark Banks and sure. Joe Parker was there and just gave it horns there. And, um, they asked me to go back to Montreal. Mm. So that was an amazing opportunity. Got there. I don't think it made one difference to the world that I was in Montreal at all. It was a big deal for me. Yeah, it was a big deal for you though. Uh, I've that- been back subsequently four times okay. uh, and it's, it gets better every time. Um, but yeah, so, so that was kind of how it all, all began. And, and, um, it's just, you just got to be relentless. You, you're not, you're not allowed to say, like, I'm, I, I'm going to give this a go. Mm. You have to give it a go. You have to actually get in there and yeah. you really get your hands dirty. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, speaking of dirty, you went from yeah. clean yep. to dirty. Yeah. What's that? So it what was, just, was that all um, about? I'm, I'm not a fan of, Fluff. Mm. The audience was a fan of a fan of fluff. So when you start off, you've got to kind of play the room. You've got to appeal to everyone. You you know, Um, I'm at an age now where I would rather play to less people. The shows that I want to do. So Mm. like my last show was all about the history of racism, and it's kind of a mixture of research. The good racist. The good racist. Um, And it's a reflection on on 40 years of being a white South African. Mm. And and um, um. I think it's an honest reflection. Um, I think it calls out a lot of the nonsense, uh, you know, that people sprout against scripting. You know, we'd much rather argue that we are not a racist than actually really engage with the concept of racism. Mm. Like, what is blackness as as an intellectual concept? What is whiteness? Uh, is black rage um, justified? Is white silence allowed? You, you know, you know, these are not things you'd automatically want to. Here, if you sign up for a comedy show. Sure. So my job then is to go, okay, well, in what satirical way can I couch this so that you will laugh and learn? Mm. Um, I would rather play that show to the selective audiences who are prepared to make that effort than go and do jokes about, you know, genital sizes and hairstyles and the usual. Yeah, you know, thank you for not. Just, you know, rubbish. Mm. Yeah. So uh, and okay, so then we've got this this career, and I don't know at what point you you really said okay, now this is my career. Uh, was there so th- there was the grind? Then at what point was it a career? Was it after the the Toronto thing? Um, before that, so uh, it's I didn't call myself a stand up comic for like ten years. Okay, um, even um, even though you were, yeah, and doing quite well. Mm. I'm always cocky about that, and um, I'd always wanted you know one of the things. I don't talk about often. It just was funny. But my dad, I think the first thing my dad ever did when he when he kind of realized that I wanted to be a kind of a performer, mm. gave me a Bill Cosby tape, okay, a cassette, and um um I used to listen to that until it kind of uh, broke. The 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 funniest line from uh, Bill Cosby that I ever heard was when he was describing his mother. And how she would get angry with him and then say, I will knock the black off you. <laughs> and anyway, just a, yeah. and it, was, it was also a tape my dad had. So, I mean, ago. you know, whether we like it or not, he, he, at the time, we didn't know what he was doing. Um, you know, but, um, he, he was quite a big influence. Another massive thing was my folks were, because they were kind of nonconformist, we often had Peter Dirk Ace videos in the house and I would watch them and then I, uh, at a young age, I would kind of uh, mimic what he was doing with the costume changes as he changed between political figures to the point where my mum actually found a place where they had some fake noses and glasses. So I would sit and kind of I not really, really understanding the political subversion of Peter Duke Ace mm. in, in those days. Um, but I got to meet him down the line and, and um, 
such a remarkable, he's a real gentleman actually in a great sense of the word, but, but, uh, and really one of my favorite people. He's a brave a man. Mm. Um, um, and amazing. So, I mean, I, I always knew there was something about, um, saying no to like a system, but it, it takes a long time to articulate. Mm. And, and I'm at an age now where apparently, according to Ericsson, I'm in my generative phase. Okay. And so I am, I'm sorry, I've just done an assignment about this. That's why I keep laughing. Well, no, it. it's fascinating. It, it adds a very intelligent dimension to it. So. <laughs> so it's just amazing to know that all the things that you thought were chaos have been carefully mapped by another human being and mm. actually quite normal. Mm. Um, so I, it's, it's great to reflect back now on, on what, uh, what the causes were and, and what the thing, but at the time I had no idea what was going on. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I got really, um, there were very few comedians when I came along. There were some, but I was the first of like a sort of a generation that kind of jumped ahead and, mm. and Montreal, I got a TV show when I got back from Montreal. Just a lot happened in a short time and I could pretty much do whatever I wanted really. Mm. Um, so I, I kind of burned it quite hard and then, you, you know, because while all this was going on, I was, I was, you know, wrestling quite a big drinking and drug habit. So, okay, really? so yeah. So, I mean, you talk about the, you know, the road of excess, uh, least the palace of wisdom, mm. but, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if that's always the case or whether it is wisdom, but a lot happened and now I can kind of think back on it and quite a sober lens now. Mm. Yeah. Well, 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 thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And sure. the, the, the outcomes of, of your journey are going to be, as you have now mentioned, really built uh, or, or fruit of those experiences. And so, we're so grateful yeah. for you sharing them. I, I do oh, want cool. to talk about WACT and sure. your business and yeah. th- that evolution. Um, but be- before I do that, I, you know, the most interesting part of what I've done, and I've been fortunate enough to be interviewing CEOs and senior executives and individuals like you, influencers, for about eight years. Okay. And the most interesting part of my job is not – Listening to what people say behind a mic, because most of the time it's it's fluffy and, and nice and <laughs> and all that kind of thing. But rather just watching the nuances, the the behavioural stuff that happens behind the scenes. You and you are a. Do you have a short temper? Uh, not really. I, I don't. I I didn't think you did, and I'm glad no. you said not really. But you are very very direct. You're, you're to the point. Uh, you you don't seem to beat around the bush too much. Uh, is that accurate? Absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm very, um, I'm very direct. And, okay, so you're very direct. Tell me the reception of being direct. So in, you know, with an audience, it's great because you get that explosive laughter of like almost, um, outrage yeah. or, or shock, yeah. which I love. Uh, in the corporate world, I find it, it's a little different. Mm. And so honesty is not always welcome. Certainly, uh, a non-diplomatic approach because an enormous amount of corporate energy, in my experience, is burned and wasted on feelings. Yeah, the political game. E- exactly. I, I just don't understand that concept. And I understand in a large organization, things like morale and culture are important. Mm. But I also think that if the, um, I think that things like, um, breaks are too long. Mm. In other words, when something happens in your life, the, the amount of, like wasted comfort on executives is ridiculous. Mm. Um, the where you learn and toughen up is in the fire. Like, like soldiers don't get treated, uh, you know, gently mm. because their job is hard. So, so I find that quite strange. And the truth is often seen as like a weapon. Uh, it's this blunt instrument that you know if you just bring it out, people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. why are you doing that? You know. But surely the concentration of power is where. 
gentleness is least important. Mm, agreed. You know, you've got these like bloated, soft, gentle individuals, and I'm very lucky to have worked with some very not um, some very ungentle uh, leaders, mm. and and I found it to be really rewarding. So I have some clients or uh, you know people in the network who are like that, and we get on perfectly well because mm. even if you're wrong. It will be a bad reaction, but we'll get over it and we'll get to, you know, what we think is right. And you'll probably get over it very quickly at a, and super at a, quick. a, a super reduced cost as well. Uh, well. Well, exactly. You know, because I run my own businesses and I'm aware of the cost of diplomacy, uh, we, I've got a very urgent sense of what, what needs to be done when. When uh, your first employee, uh, mm. I don't know who that was, but yeah. how did they handle you? Um, it was quite funny because my first employee was, uh, it's just so funny because I read her name the other day out of the blue, uh, was a bit of a hippie. Okay. And, and, uh, and, um, so she was quite calm, but completely hopeless at the job. Um, <laughs> I have to say when we started the business, we weren't exactly the world's best bosses either. Okay. And I've also always had, a, had partners. I've never, I've never run a business on my own. All right. And I think that's very important to qualify up front because, uh, my business is certainly not a result of only me. Mm. Um, Irfan Padesi, he's the founder of ACM Gold, which is a forex trading business. I think they're valued at 6 billion rand or 4 billion rand or okay. something wonderful like that. Drives a Lamborghini, that kind of thing. Right. And he, he uh, just in a conversation with me about one or two of my personal aspirations um, over dinner one night, he said, do you have a business partner? And I said, no, I do not. And he said, well, you're going to fail. You're definitely wow. going to fail. Also so, direct. Yeah, very, very direct. <laughs> it was a great conversation. Uh, but I hear you on the business Absolutely. Thing. This thing of leaders being like these martyrs too, you know, because they're the leader now, they're like, it's so hard and everything. So it's all just so overblown. And I think it's quite a masculine thing. Um, I found um, I would rather f- sort of struggle with partners than try and go it alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, um, and again, I've had good and bad partners, and there's been a succession of them. Um, um, I recently had a really bad uh, experience with it with a partner, um, but luckily, you know, over the years, you, you learn to kind of number one spot risk or treat risk, mm-hmm. and, and then ultimately just get rid of it if it's a problem. Mm-hmm. But um, so, first employee was interesting because we were, we were really just a fax machine and, and a diary. Mm-hmm. You know, we would. Um, Get inquiries in, and then we would return them. There was no email, so so you know um, that was it. And and we would do some invoices and contracts. It was all just my own bookings, um, and then that's just grown. And and so now we have a fairly big agency, and and we book a lot of comedians and business speakers and musicians. Well, well pitch me in thirty seconds. I'm a potential client. You've, uh, I can't necessarily. I don't know who I am exactly. Right. But, but pitch me anyway, and tell me. What Are you, you an think. internal client or an external client? I'm an external client. Okay, cool. So, I mean, ultimately, you're going to spend money on some kind of entertainment or keynote speaker, you know, during the next 12 months. Yeah, that's why we're speaking. Exactly. And um, your your budget's important. So, what you want is someone who can tell you who the best person for your gig is. So, of course, if you go and speak to the artist directly, they'll all tell you that they're the best person for you. That's because they want the job, because they're freelancers and they're panicking. Yeah. What you need is someone who can listen to exactly what it is you intend to do, because we don't just try and make you laugh. We want to know what your overall theme is and Mm. how we can add value by putting the right speaker at your event. And if you book more than one speaker from us, so let's say you need a comedian, an MC, maybe you want a band and you'd like a business speaker, for example, 
There's no reason we can't give you some kind of break on the commission and give you a better value for your. Now, what I also know is that you not only do that, you're not not only managing that kind of speaker lineup, Mm. but you're also running events and you've done some big events. Just brag a little. It's okay. So, so so we had a production side to our business. We've actually spun that out to its own business because we have a separate partner who helps with that. And, um, we were trying it out for like three or four years, Mm. uh, which worked beautifully. So yes, we do produce things and, and we don't just do it because we said we do it. So we produce the gathering for Daily Maverick. We're about to do the, 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 the gathering uh, media edition in Cape Town mm. for the first time. Uh, we've done, um, we've done some very big F&B work. We've done, um, five of their conferences in five days. Okay. Uh, we've done a 10 country road show for them. Mm. So big things That's that are big. complicated. Yeah. yeah. Well, we would much rather work on something very big and very complicated than something very small mm. because we'll work equally hard. We're just a bit stupid like that. So, mm. so, so we do have that capability. So somebody separate will come into that pitch and tell you, well, look, who's doing your staging and your lights and, and can we maybe do that? And the reason I don't pitch it is I just don't think you need, the, as Mark Bank calls it, the vibracrete wall that says we do taxes, welding, koi fish. And, Good call. And, you know, Good call. Yeah. Yeah. So we would get a production specialist to come in and, and, and we pitch that as well. Increasingly, and they're converging. So the talent needs production. Um, um, uh, we need talent in the production side of things. Mm. And then finally, uh, what's very important is we all need content mm. uh, because content's becoming, um, especially video content, more and more how we influence a decision on, on whether to buy or not. So mm. things like drones, studios, um, these are all very important components and, the, and they work across the whole. So, so what I'm, um, I suppose I'm saying is that we've d- discovered that we have an ecosystem and, and we are now trying to uh, maximize the value of that ecosystem. Okay. So you, you've seen this ecosystem. It started at a, a, a very small point, which is someone coming in, doing your bookings for you, yeah. doing some of your admin. You, you're now a full fledged business, which has now got a spin off business, which does all the production side of everything. Uh, it sounds very, very nice, but sometimes the journey isn't as easy as uh, talking about. Yeah, it's again in but, retrospect. So I'm actually studying at the moment to try okay. and understand the complexity. I do know this about you. You do. So, so I'm, uh, I'm very grateful <laughs> to currently be learning about systems and processes, which I wish somebody had pointed out to me. 10, 15 years ago. Um, again, there's a name for it. Um, um, so, uh, because I like learning and I spend a lot of time with, as you do, a lot of business leaders, cause mm. I've been to a lot of their events or taken briefs, mm. uh, or, or built content for their, um, their events. Um, I'm learning about the, we've been building our chess pieces, let's call them. Mm. And now we're ready to play some chess. So, so we're going to separate out the production company. Um, there's a reason for that. We, we want to tidy up the bookings business and just see where we are there. We have some expansion plans. So that's important. We have, we have a, an investment in a Durban entertainment company mm. that owns a festival. Um, we have some plans there. Uh, we're in talks with some other countries and stuff. So sponsors and um, mm. that that, that uh, work with us the comedy awards has expanded into africa recently Lovely so we've, we've had uh, votes in 10 countries and and now we've had nominations in five so there are lots and lots of things that are happening and we just want to understand what it is that we spent all this time and energy creating and how we can um maximize those things for ourselves and for the components for each other are you at risk of turning into a uh a what, what, you know, starting with all the jar- business jargon and corporate talk, is that, is that well, next year? 
you know what it is? I just found that it's a language which people start to understand. Mm. Um, it's a common language. So um, while we have our own little culture and our own little talk, I am trying to introduce my guys. Now there's quite a nice team of six people that um, I work with, um, and and uh, we do quite a lot for the small size of the team. But um, we've just also decided a fairly radical um, evolution. So I'm going to break all the rules okay. of what we've done so far and reorder the business and, and, um, and our rules of engagement um, with the market. Um, I don't know that we want to be a physical business anymore. Interesting. It is, interesting. It's terrifying because everything we've worked towards, I'm now looking at how we could – you know, you can talk about change, but until you throw the people into the change, you run the risk of just talking about change mm. as a concept. You mm. know, if I hear one more person go, oh, the only thing constant is change, I, I will assault them <laughs> because that is the most boring and stupid thing I've ever heard. Sure. I'm interested in the graphs and, and the data of change and and – we can't be the business that talks about that if we're not living that. Mm. So I have found a, hopefully a way of um, changing the way we work. And, mm. and you know, we all talk about being uh, digital. Um, I'm challenging my team to, to literally become unphysical and um, – it's gonna, it's gonna weird out some customers. It's gonna weird out some people, but. Well, you, you've caught my attention. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly fascinated. I'm glad yeah. you're doing it before anyone, well, certainly before me. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I know. Well, look, you know, there's a danger of being a foot tracker. You yeah, know? sure. If you listen to the lady going to Mars, they're not gonna have a great time. If they survive, they're not gonna have a great time. And that's a big if they survive. It's a huge if. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, and I always thought that she was crazy, um, until I kind of met, uh, met her. It's Adriana Marais. Mm. Um, I met her and listened, number one, to how incredibly intelligent she is and, and how I can make the stupid assumption that this is a, a light decision. Mm. <laughs> mm. However, uh, they may make a very real contribution to the future of humanity and, and, and I salute them for that. I wouldn't want to do it, which makes it even more admirable. Mm. Um, um, so yeah, so, so, uh, in the next sort of six to eight months, um, I'm gonna, going to, you're going to Mars in a particular, uh, we're kind going of way. to business Mars. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. And you know, it might be a disaster, but, but, um, obviously I'm, I'm, my Mars is a little bit different. Mm. I still have a foot on the ground mm. and, uh, and, um, the info is not new. The data is not new. I think they'll be getting a lot of new data yeah, out there. Right. Um, but the data here is, remains the same. And, and you're making decisions against it, which is, uh, which I certainly appreciate. Uh, the the data driven decisions work for me. Last mm. week we were talking about the, the difference between intuition and rational thought. And is it right. something that, that, uh, is uh, sometimes they even fight or battle against each other. This idea of your gut feeling versus mm. what the data is saying. I lean toward data. Most of the time, yeah, um, intuition's a, an important thing. Well, you know, you'd have to ask how intuitive Warren Buffett is, because mm. I watched the movie about him recently. I I have never been so grateful not to be someone in my life. I would give up every cent that Warren Buffett has to not be Warren not Buffett. Be him. I, I really would not want to be that man. I, I genuinely understood why his wife said, "I love you, but I am going to go and live in San Francisco." Mm. I I can understand that he's lovable. But I just couldn't imagine being Warren Buffett. It's the most horrifying idea for me as an individual ever what, what was the movie uh, it's called becoming warren buffett becoming think, warren, yeah okay. uh, it's brilliant and uh, it's he's in it it's like a documentary um 
His wife sadly died. She seemed like a very nice lady. Mm. Um, um, but basically said to him, look, I'm going to go and live somewhere else. I love you. You know my best friend really well. She's going to move in with you. That's the new arrangement. Mm. Everyone was cool. Mm. They all got on. Um, she became, she ran his, um, foundation for quite a long time, the, the wife. And mm. then, um, sadly got very sick and, um, and, and he was very close to her all the way through. Uh, um, but, uh, the rational's great. But then I have this other monster, which is the creative side. Mm. And, and, um, that is a great struggle because I want to make creatively beautiful things. But, but like I've done that and, you know, I've been at an arena where I've put on the show that I always wanted to do and watched a fortune of money just being wasted. Mm. Um, and I know that that's not great either. So I'm, uh, I'm trying very hard to, um, balance the two. So now we have a business case for our creative projects and, uh, and there, there needs to be an outcome that's sustainable. So, so I now have more fun because I actually have not enjoyed wearing collars and jackets and mm. now I feel like it's great. I'm dressing up. It's like a, it's a costume that I have to go to, go to war in this suit of armor and uh, a spreadsheet's actually quite a cool thing. It can, it can gives me a sense of reassurance. Cool <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Yeah, yeah, if you go back in, in time and we said, here, have a spreadsheet. I mean, what no, would you have said? Absolutely not. Like I want to play on my PlayStation yeah, and I want yeah. to fly business class and you know, who are these people? <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so. Well, John, uh, we have run out of time. It's been a Thank fascinating so conversation. I've got an, 20 more questions, but we, we can't pose them to you today, so we'll have Never to have mind. you back. Cool, man. Um, thank you for coming and sharing. Thank Thanks you for, for, for being vulnerable. Maybe an answer to one more question. Yes. We ask this question to everyone Super. before they leave the studio. Right. And that is, if you could go back in time and speak to the young future CEO, 20-year-old you, what would you say to that individual? Yeah, just breathe. Okay. You know, that gap where you breathe, you could – it's amazing what a little split second of hanging back can do because you analyze things a little bit longer. Mm. Um, it might have a lot of value. A- and the other just breathe is that whatever you're feeling now in terms of anxiety will probably turn into quite a handy driver. Mm. So don't wish it away. Mm. Yeah, yeah be, be a little bit slower to wish away some of your issues and problems. Suffering and is not terrible. Mm. You know, I met a lady who runs a brilliant uh, – she, she ran the, mo- the worst bank branch in the country and turned it into one of the best. And I said to her, what, what was it that made you do that? She said, well, I embraced discomfort. Mm. Um, that's a very profound piece of advice. Mm. Embrace discomfort. Well, that's yeah. the voice of John Flissmas. Thank you, John. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, man. And um, we will be back same time, same place next week, talking all things future CEOs with super guests, sharing their insights and experiences. Then we will see you same time, same place next week. This is cliffcentral.com.